Hello, my name is Michael Nimmo, and this is the podcast of the book Around Serie A in 20 Days. Today we're going to be talking about the sixth chapter, but before that, if you're new to the podcast, welcome, welcome, come in, come in, make yourself at home. The podcast is basically me reading the book. Hopefully it'll be interesting, and this way you can hear what the book's about and the way in which it's written. If you like what you hear, and you haven't already bought the book, then please buy the book, come on. You can buy the book, you can subscribe to the podcast, you can read my blog all from www.michaelnimmo.com. Alternatively, if you would like, you can also subscribe directly through iTunes, and then every Monday and Friday, a new podcast will be delivered to you automatically and for no cost. What can be better than that, hmm? So I hope you enjoy listening to me as I went to watch Hellas Verona. Ciao, ciao. Chapter 6. Welcome to Hell, that's my trip to watch Hellas Verona play Cagliari. I can honestly say that I wasn't looking forward to this one. So far, apart from my grumbling about trains and a bit of a scare in Bologna because I'm a wuss, I've had a good time and have met some nice people. Don't get me wrong, I'm also bleeding money and constantly fretting that what I finish up writing might be crap and it's all pretty tiring. But so far, so good. For this game, I would be heading off to the romance-soaked home of Romeo and Juliet for a Hellas Verona match. Rather than falling in love in a 17th century style, all damsels and candlelight, everything I'd heard about the Hellas fans suggested that this trip could end up being a more authentic 17th century story full of poisonous concoctions of daggers and intolerance. Of all the games I've seen, and I'm planning to see, people told me that this one would be one of the most high risk for my beautifully intact face. See, they have a reputation for being a little, mmm, feisty. But, while paying heed to reputations is always a good idea so as not to land yourself in hot water, I prefer to take other people's ideas with a pinch of salt. Case in point, my brother likes Brussels sprouts. So Hellas Verona are, for the purposes of torturing this analogy, a bit like Brussels sprouts. You either love them, a select few, or hate them, seemingly everyone else. And in my case, only have to be around them once a year. Those who love them really love them, while those who don't really don't. I wasn't sure if they make you gassy, but ever in the name of research, I headed off to investigate. I immediately took a shine to the team, for the most banal of reasons. While for a few other matches I'd had to buy the ticket in person from the club shop, requiring my arrival the day before the match, I was able to buy a ticket for this one from a reasonably surprised guy in a shop in Genoa. His surprise progressed to puzzlement, when I wasn't sure what the name of the stand that I wanted to go to was called, beyond simply the Verona fans one. In the end we figured out which one that might be and in completing this preliminary stage, I had earned an extra night in my own bed and had saved on any potential hotel expenses or irritations. You may have read another book about Serie A fandom called A Season with Verona by Tim Parks. If you've not, and you like the idea of reading about someone who followed Hellas Verona around for an entire season, then give it a go. It's very interesting, both from the football side and also from a cultural perspective. I'd hope to have a wee chat with him in order to get an adopted Veronese's idea of the team and supporters, but unfortunately 
he didn't fancy taking part. He said that pretty much everything he had to say on the subject was in the book, so I'll have to make do with borrowing a couple of observations about Verona from him. Verona, the city, lies in the northwest, and like much of the rest of Italy, has changed hands frequently through the years. It has belonged to, among others, the Romans, the Ostrogoths, Napoleon, and the Austrian Empire, before becoming part of Italy in 1866. A nickname that the football team has is the Scaligeri, after an important family in the city's history. Although having read about them, it's surprising that their descendants were able to achieve anything given their apparent fondness for plotting fratricide. One of them, Cansignorio, killed two of his brothers while another, Antonio, after Cansignorio's death, continued his brother's legacy by killing another brother, Bartolomeo. Modern soap operas have nothing on 14th century Verona. It's also a UNESCO World Heritage Site for its architecture and urban structure, which makes it very popular with tourists and was the home of three of Shakespeare's plays. The Taming of the Shrew, the pretty self-explanatory The Two Gentlemen of Verona, and of course Romeo and Juliet. Unfortunately, from a cultural point of view, I was there to watch some football, not to take photos of buildings and statues. So when I arrived, I buzzed off from the train station and made a beeline for the stadium. The route is fairly nondescript through a relatively modern part of town. One big road flanked by blocks of flats. I've had a few extended wanders around parts of other towns thanks to misreading the maps on my phone, so I reverted to some good old-fashioned following people who looked like they were going my way. I quickly spied a guy in a jello blue scarf, so stalked him until he led me to the stadium, at which point I abandoned him and found myself a suitable-looking watering hole. I've been told that it's a regional tradition to have what amounts to mulled wine for breakfast, but crucially, when I was in Verona, I had forgotten about this. I'll be back in spring for a Kievo-Verona match, so I've promised myself that when I'm back in this neck of woods, I'll be a bit more touristy and in the name of research, drink some wine for breakfast before taking a stroll round the historical centre. It's a tough job, but someone's got to choose to do it. I found myself a bar in which to have some lunch and to collect my thoughts before heading to a more conventional pub. After all that I'd been told about the locals, how would it go? My only previous experience of Verona fans, albeit from quite a distance, and only of those fanatical enough to go to away matches, was not entirely positive, to say the least. Would they all be the snarling inbreds I'd been warned of? Would there be the scumbags who chanted during a minute's silence after a disaster? Would my being alone in a pub while they drank and chatted pre-match mark me as a suspicious, unknown other? Before coming, a friend confided that the Veronesi were the Tironi of the North. Tironi is the pejorative term used by some Northerners to describe Southern Italians. It's derived from terra, meaning earth or ground, and so is used to indicate rural people, i.e. those with a typically lower level of education and sophistication. As Verona is in the north, what my friend was alluding to was that the Veronese were not good, civilised people, despite their inherent northernness. I was to be careful, as they had no scruples. As I've said, I don't normally take other people's ideas at face value, but to be forewarned is to be forearmed, and he was just trying to look out for me, which is of course appreciated.
With all this in mind, had I seen a mob with flailing pitchforks, but snappily dressed, lazy stereotype ahoy, but Italians do normally dress reasonably well, savages or not, chasing one of the town's African community down the street, I probably wouldn't have been too surprised. Dismayed, a carita, but not too surprised. Imagine my genuine surprise, then, that when I popped into a pub opposite the ground and asked for a beer, the woman behind the bar not only understood me, but answered me in comprehensible Italian, and all with a minimum of spitting and drooling. Wow. As I drank my beer, I looked around, and it was like any other bar in any other part of Italy that I'd been to. Generic furniture and decor? Check. Same old collection of spirits behind the bar? Check. Old men sitting reading the paper in the corner? Check. Maybe Verona and Veronese aren't so different from you and I after all. Just to be sure, I tried to blend in with the locals by drinking my beer and watching the early kickoff on the TV. After a couple of beers, the inevitable course of bodily functions had to take place, which is how I met Davide. Up to this point in my travels, I'd laboured to find supporters to interview via forums on the internet, or by hoping to introduce myself to strangers in pubs. Little did I know that simply hanging about outside the men's toilet would achieve the same objective. Note to self, if you want to speak to men in a pub, just wait at the toilet. What could go wrong with such a foolproof plan? As it was, I was biding my time in the queue, and a man asked me if the toilet was busy. When he heard my response, he asked where I was from. Spider since he's tingling, I told him I was from Scotland, to which he didn't respond with violence, so it was all good. I then met his friends, who inquired after my football allegiance that went something like this. Me, Hibs, pronounced Hibs in Italy. Them, who? Me, Hibs? Them, who? Me, do you know train spotting? the team from that? Them. Ah, Hebes, train spotting's beautiful. A little note here. Beautiful is the adjective Italians use when describing films that English speakers would say are great. I have tried to explain countless times to students why, while being a very good film, train spotting is far from beautiful in the English sense, but it's a slow process. Not for the first time, I found common ground with Italians thanks to a fictional group of junkies. Davide was kind enough to shed some light on his beloved Hellas. I've always supported them. My dad brought me to the stadium when I was six, and since that moment, I've been giallo-blue. We won 1-0 against Ternana. Lupi scored, and my dad hugged me and went crazy. Hellas Verona were formed in 1903 by a group of school students. They did so at the request of their classics professor, hence Hellas, which is the Greek word for Greece which makes my students pale in comparison. When I ask them to do homework, they invariably forget, don't show up to the following lesson, or make some excuse. But this guy, 110 years ago, asks his pupils to form a football team, and not only do they do it, but they honour his classes and subject in his name. Huh. I look forward to seeing my next homework project, Waffling Football Club, take to the pitch at some point in the undefined future. Their zenith so far was when they won the Scudetto in 1985. But since then, they've been up and down more often than a depression sufferer on a trampoline. Before this season, their last time with the big boys in Serie A was 2002. 
although they generally go by the aforementioned nickname, the Scaligeri, on both the family and football club's crest, there are two Mastiffs facing away from each other, which leads to another sobriquet, i Mastini, the Mastiffs. Fearsome. If you don't fancy either of them, you could also refer to them as Ibute, which is local dialect for the guys. Fun pub quiz fact. Verona is one of only five cities in Italy to boast a Serie A derby. For collectionists, the other cities are Rome, Milan, Turin and Genoa. Hellas' derby is against Chievo Verona, of whom, not surprisingly, they're not fond. The arena for the game would be the Stadio Marcantonio Bentegodi, the home of both teams from the city. Built in 1963 and then refurbished for the World Cup in 1990, it falls into my much-lamented category of Stadio with a running track. It also has a Jumbotron-style TV screen, which, and I'm only guessing now, predates the 90s. Pre-match, when there were the announcements of the teams, the players' mugshots up on the screen showed a total lack of definition. Olivey pink splodge or face in front of a green pitch, after olivey pink splodge or face in front of a green pitch. Don't get me wrong, back in the day when I spent my Saturday afternoons watching games at Easter Road with my dad and my sister, I would have been proud as punch to have a video screen and it also would have served to block the wind and sleet whipping through the gaps in the corners from Arthur's seat. While all this was going on, an SUV towing a trailer packed with speakers crawled around the running track, blaring out 20 seconds of Welcome to the Jungle, followed by an advert, on repeat. It always followed the same route, from the Corva Sud to the north and back again, like a snail with short-term memory loss. I felt sorry for the driver, but then again, the job wouldn't be particularly demanding, so it actually could have been carried out by a snail, or maybe a team of snails working in unison. Down the years, Verona have had some pretty decent players, although perhaps not all that many known to an English-speaking audience. Last time they were in Serie A, they had a very young Adrian Muto, Alberto Giladino, and for lovers of championship manager, and by proxy, living in their parents' house, singlehood and dying alone, Johnny Montano passed his way around a bit too. When pushed about his favourite player, Davide didn't need to think twice. Without doubt, it was Preben Elkiar. He was a whirlwind and a star on the pitch, and a fantastic person off it. Elkiar played 69 games for Denmark, scoring 38 goals, and scored 48 goals in four seasons for the Giallo Blue winning the Scudetto with him in 1985. He's particularly noted for going on a run against Juventus, losing his right boot, but scoring with his left. Nowadays, they have ex-Azzurri frontman Luca Toni galooting about, and ex-Celtic disappointment Massimo Donati. Beyond that, they've got a few guys who may be ones to watch in the future, namely Juani Turbe and Jorginho. You probably didn't hear it here first, guys. In fact, uh, Juani Torbe has now gone to Roma and Giorgino to Napoli. After the lineups were read out, there followed the obligatory list of things that spectators were not allowed to do. When the instruction to not throw things arrived, it was greeted with a hail of things being thrown. If football is the number one sport in Italy, it's run a close second by disobeying rules. Whether it's not throwing things in the stadium or not parking on zebra crossings, there are very few rules that the populace doesn't enjoy actively disregarding. 
This is strange, because Italy has the highest number of lawyers per person of the larger European countries, according to a Council of Europe report from 2010, who know more about the subject than me. At the last count in 2008, there were 346 registered lawyers for every 100,000 people in Italy. Compare this to 209 for every 100,000 in Germany, or 289 for every 100,000 in Spain, the UK was not included in the study due to its differing legal systems, and you could be forgiven for thinking that Italians love law and order. Either that, or that all those lawyers are really needed to clean the country up. Pre-match in other stadiums, I've heard the stern instruction to not partake in any chanting or displays otherwise of territorial or racial abuse or discrimination, but here I wasn't aware of this warning. I may have instinctively micro-slept through it in an act of rebellious disobedience, but I'm pretty sure that never happened, and as the rules were also shown up on the jumbotron, I would have seen it anyway. This is a new law which passed into a practice at the start of the year, and has already been watered down, but I didn't hear a mention of it in Verona. Is this because the game was against Cagliari, and so not particularly important, or deemed unlikely to be party to abuse? although Sardinians are mocked as being sheepshaggers, which probably shades over the line between playful banter and abuse these days. Or was it because it was Verona, and instructing the stands not to be abusive towards the other team would be like wading into the sea and trying to push the tide back? I was sat in the ring underneath the Corva Sud, the ultra stand. I was hoping for a bit of a rowdy, but not excessively so, atmosphere. Sadly, there were very few people around me, but when I leant over the edge and craned my neck up, while being careful to avoid being hit by anything thrown down, I could see that the corva was packed. Everywhere there were yellow blue flags and banners, many of them bearing the ladder-shaped symbol of the Scaligeri. It looked and sounded pretty impressive, but as I found myself beneath them, I settled down to watch the match. Verona had had a flying start to the season, sitting in seventh before this match. They started brightly too, and took the lead early, when the lanky Luca Toni scored a free header from a corner in front of the understandably jubilant Corva. On the counter-attack they looked particularly dangerous, although weren't able to add another goal until just before the hour, when nice passing round the box opened up space for Jankovic to curl into the far corner. By this stage, Victory Barbo, Cagliari's own siege engine style forward, had come on, and owing to his blackness, I peeled my ears to hear if there was any abuse aimed at him. If anything was to prove the stereotype of the Hellas fans to be true, it'd be the introduction of a black player from the opposition. And do you know what I heard? Nothing. Although I wasn't in the Corva, I was close enough to hear any communal chants or the racist idiot sound effect of choice monkey noises coming from the home fans. This alone may not make them card-carrying members of the NAACP, but it was quite a relief to not have anything to report on the racism front. No news is good news. Tim Parks, while acknowledging the reputation of the Veronese, suggested that they were complicit in how they were seen, and that their behaviour was a reaction against the media. The Brigate, I reflect, are not a savoury bunch. But insofar as they define themselves by being against somebody, it's the liberal press they're against, the perennial PC of contemporary society. That's why I feel a certain sympathy with them. 
Every public statement is so predictably pious. The stadium offers the only place where you can stand up and yell something excitingly foul. In any event, it's clear that the two antagonists are actually in complicity with each other. The Brigati chant their racist chants and then are outraged by the hypocrisy of the press. The press are delighted to have such an easy target. Cagliari weren't really up to much, but did at least make injury time more interesting by grabbing a goal in the 89th minute. But it was too little, too late, and Hellas held on to keep their perfect home record going with their sixth win in six. While times were good for Hellas, Kievo were struggling down in the relegation places. Which would Davide prefer next season? Hellas in Europe or Kievo, the enemy, in Serie B? He emailed me back saying, Hellas in Europe, of course. The Jallo Blue are on the march. At the final whistle, I took my leave and headed back to the train station and home, only to be very nearly scuppered by the very means of transport I was hoping to take. First of all, the train to Milan was 10 minutes late in getting into Verona, which made my very optimistic 15 minutes between connections in Milan appear highly fanciful. There were no seats, so I whiled away the hour and a bit train journey standing in the park between carriages, while a seemingly endless stream of people wandered past. Despite checking my watch every minute or so, the train didn't seem to go any faster, and by the time we got to Milan, I had a knot in my stomach from the annoyance and concern that I'd missed the train. The ticket inspector seemed very relaxed, and said there'd be plenty of time before adding that I'd have to run. Despite being entirely contradictory, this did make me feel a bit better, and so when we pulled in, I was out the door and along the platform like the wind. By my calculations, I had about a minute to get off train number one and board train number two, so didn't stop to check the big departures board beyond giving it a cursory glance, which suggested I should be heading for platform 18. Having dodged past the other commuters, who all seemed to be playing an impromptu game of musical statues, I got to said platform, and in between wheezing breaths, I really should smoke less, asked the Trenitalia employee who was standing about if this gesture to train is gasp for air, the train for Genoa. Using all of the winning charm that he must have displayed during his job's interview process, he replied, it's written there, and pointed his finger at another notice board, all the while not looking at me. Well, fuck you very much, sir. On the train home, in between catching my breath and plotting my unnecessarily elaborate revenge against Trenitalia, I reflected on my day. I'd had quite a good time. Whether it's because I actually liked it, or it was relief that it wasn't as horrific as I'd feared, I don't know. It wasn't all my idea of heaven, and I apologise for what I'm going to say next, but it certainly hadn't been hellish watching Hellas.
Okay, so that's yet another chapter gone. I hope you enjoy my little journey to Hellas. And join me on Monday. I hope you enjoyed my little chapter about Hellas Verona. Join me on Monday and I will tell you about my trip to watch Sassuolo.